Well, good morning, everybody. All right. Hey, I want to send my greetings to those of you in the Waterbury congregation, those of you in Derby and in New Milford as well, and of course, for those of you who are watching online, for those of you here at Bethel as well. If you're, if you're new today, a special greeting to you. We're so glad that you are here listening in. If you're in one of our campuses, we believe the Lord has led you to that place, and the Lord has a great word for you today. My name's Brian, I'm one of the lead pastors, and we have been in a sermon series we're calling Walking Wisely. We're learning from the book of Proverbs, which is just a series of, or a collection of um, wise words to help us know how to live. You see, we want to live in a way that brings heaven to earth. And today I've entitled the sermon, Things That God Hates. (laughs) There are some things God hates. There are some things we hate. Now listen, I know a bunch of you are like, wow, the pastor's saying hate. Does he not know that hate is a strong word? I know there are some things that you think strongly about. There are some things that we hate, right? I did some research to find out what people hate. And so I'm going to tell you today what people hate. And you tell me if, if, if you resonate with these things, okay? The first one was this. The number one thing that I found that people hate is loud chewing. So if you're chomping on some gum right now, it'd be best for you just to tone that down if you want to build your friend base, okay? (laughs) The second thing I found was that people hate slow walkers in the mall. You know, those people that got their Auntie Anne's and they're just kind of cherishing it as they walk very slowly and you're stuck behind them and they create this row. Like maybe they should go one ahead of each other so we can... More like a fast lane, right? Group texts. Yeah, you're all on one right now, aren't you? Just trying to get out of that thing. Yeah, we all made the mistake of uh, opting out without knowing that it tells the whole group that you have opted out. It's a tough thing when you've opted out of the family reunion text message. I'm looking forward to coming to that in July, by the way, family. (laughs) People hate being told to calm down. Has that ever worked in the history of mankind? Hey, just calm down. You know what? You're right. I'm, I'm totally calm now, right? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You say calm down, heat rises within the person. Me just saying it to you right, hey, calm down. You're already upset at me, aren't you? Right? You're, you're a little bit upset at me. Calm down. Talking during movies. Some of you like that. And that's why we hate it. (laughs) That's why we hate it. People who clip their nails in public. Who's doing that, by the way? Who's doing that? Who's even carrying the clippers? Well, I guess people carry clippers, but don't do that. Don't do that. I was surprised that some things didn't land on this list. Actually, there are a few things that I I thought I would see on this list that I, I didn't see. Um, One of those was wet towels on the floor in the home. I did a whole sermon on that, I think, a few years ago. I don't understand. In my home, I have hooks everywhere, friends. Like every week, I'm putting up a new hook, hoping that the towel will land on the hook, but it doesn't ever land on the hook. It's always wet on the ground. I thought that would hit the list, but it didn't hit the list. I thought another one that might hit the list was animals in restaurants, Oh, now I've, I've divided the crowd. I know. I know what I've done. I know. But listen, 
I'm an animal lover. I have lots of animals. I have more animals than you. I bet I do. Uh, We can go after it in a little bit. But listen, I don't want your dog on the table that I'm about to eat at. I just don't want that. Am I done today? Am I done? Am I done for the day? I went into a restaurant the other day and somebody had um, a lizard on their shoulder and it was climbing all over the place. I don't want the lizard in the restaurant. Now, if the lizard knows how to cook an omelet, right, and that becomes part of the experience, then maybe I'll go see that. And so I had to go up to the woman and say, Becca, stop bringing your lizard (laughs) to the restaurant. People don't like that, right? All right, now that I've divided the crowd, um, these seem really trivial things, aren't they? They're really not things to hate. Hate is a strong word. There are some things I hate, though. I hate when people take advantage of one another. I hate when people talk about me to others without talking to me first. I hate that. I hate when men hurt women. I hate when men think that they're better than I hate when people are treated poorly because of the color of their skin or their gender or their background. Scripture's really clear, actually, on this. We're to love our neighbor, to love one another. I hate when people only receive and never contribute. Won't be part of the answer. There are things that get my blood boiling. Are there any things that get your blood boiling? Yeah, we're, we're human, right? And there are things that we hate. There's actually things that God hates. There are things he hates. And, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, how can this be? How can God hate anything? You know, we've heard sermon after sermon about how God is love, how he calls us to love him, to love one another. These are the greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love, love. Pastor Brian, you're a pastor. You should know this. It's all about Love, God doesn't hate. Well, actually, God hates because he loves. God loves so deeply, so passionately. His love is unfailing, it's unfathomable. You can't even get your arms around it, your mind around it. He loves so much that the things that he loves, anything that threatens that, he hates. He loves you so much He wants you to know him. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to know his power, his grace, his mercy. He wants you to experience his presence every single day as you walk with him. Not just waiting for heaven, but every day right now. He wants you to know his presence. And anything that threatens that, he hates. Let's put it this way. Some of you might say, I love the New York Yankees. And if you say that, you would probably also say, I hate the the Red Sox. You'd be wrong, but I'm just just dividing people today. (laughs) Basically, you versus me. And why would you say that? Because the Red Sox sometimes become a threat to the thing that you love. Let's put it a little bit closer. If you're a parent, you love your child. You love your child. Anything that threatens them or or wants to harm them or hurt them or get in the way of your relationship with them, you hate. You want that gone as fast as possible. And something similar can be said of God. Because he loves so much, 
He hates the things that threaten what he loves. God wants you to know his love. He wants you to know his presence. So anything that threatens that, he hates. He knows the fullest and most exciting and joy-filled life is found knowing and serving him. So anything that tries to wedge itself in between him and us, he hates. Now let me say this clearly. He does not hate you. Never has. Never will. Can't. He doesn't hate you. He hates what keeps you from him. What does it mean for God to hate something? As I said, hate, this is a strong word, isn't it? We, we try to even tell and teach our kids, don't use that word, but what, what, what's happening here? There are things that God despises, things that you can't carry around with you. You have to get rid of these things if you want to walk closely with the Lord. If you want the kind of relationship that God has in mind for you, you can't keep these things with you. And this list that I'm about to share keeps us from fully experiencing the Lord. And we need to get rid of these things so that we can have the closest walk possible with Jesus. I remember when I was in high school, my brother organized a hiking trip to the Onirondack Mountains, brought us several of our friends, and one of those friends, his name was Bruce. And we got on the trails and we're walking. We noticed that Bruce's backpack was pretty big, but we didn't think of anything of it. And Bruce was always lagging way behind us, way behind us. Finally, like, Bruce, what's going on, man? He throws his pack down and it hits the ground. And it, was, it seemed like this thing was heavy. We're like, what's in that, man? We go and we try to pick it up. We could, it's like, this thing weighed all, nearly 100 pounds. He's trying to put this thing on his back. We're like, Bruce, what's in the backpack, man? It's like, oh, only the essentials. <laughs> only essentials. So we open it up. There's pots and pans in there. There's a boom box with batteries, like D batteries. Those alone will break your back. He had this big radio that he was going to call his uncle who lived in upstate New York, try to, you know, tune him in on it. We're like, Bruce, you can't bring any of this stuff you got to leave it behind. And here's why. Because if you don't, you're going to be so far from us. We're going to be going so far ahead of you. You're not going to be able to stay close. You know, friends, if we keep these things in our lives that God hates, we're going to fall so far from him. We're not going to be able to stay close. We're not going to be walking closely with him. We've got to empty the backpack. We've got to get rid of these things that God hates so that we can have a close walk with him. And you know, we should hate the things that God hates. That's where we should put our energy, hating the things God hates. Proverbs 18 verse 13 says, All who fear the Lord will hate evil. I love how the, the writer here he labels the enemy. The enemy is evil, the evil one. If we align our lives to the Lord, then we'll begin to hate the things that God hates, the work of the evil one around us. And so this list of things that God hates should be the things that we hate as well. It's not a full list. I love how it starts. It says, there are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. I love that. That's actually a, a Hebraic trick in how they would write things in order to simply say, there are many things, but let me give you just a snapshot of it. 
I had this hockey coach once who would always say, hey, guys, come in here. I got one thing to say with you. And then he'd say the one thing. He'd say, secondly. <laughs> and then he'd go, third. You know, what happened to the one thing? Well, this isn't an exhaustive list, but it's the list that we're given here. There's seven specific things in this list that God hates. Here's what I want to do in my remaining time. I want to share what God hates from these, these seven things. But then I, I want to share what God loves. You can actually take the same list and, and flip it upside down and you can see what God loves, what he would call us to. And then finally, I want to close by sharing how we can get rid of the things that God hates in our lives. I actually want to lead us through a prayer of confession. And maybe today there are some things in this list that really just convict you that you need to say back to the Lord, hey Lord, man, I've, I've, I've fallen into this one. Forgive me. Lord, release it. It would be an emptying the backpack moment. Uh, this morning. So let's start. Seven things that God hates. The first is this. Scripture says there are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. And it starts with haughty eyes. This is about how we see people. He hates haughty eyes. This is the proud belief that others are less valuable than me. It's this idea or thought of I see you down there. You know, we have a lot of different phrases in our English language that talk about a person with haughty eyes. We might say a proud person is on their high horse, or we say a proud person looks down their nose at others, or an arrogant person is sometimes called stuck up. We have these phrases about people who have haughty eyes. The term translated haughty is the word high. They have this high view, this high understanding of who they are. Part of the worst part of having haughty eyes is how people see themselves, see themselves as better than everybody else. There's a group of people in scripture that had haughty eyes. It was the Pharisees. They looked down on everyone. No one was as good as them. No one is as smart as them. Nobody followed the law as close as them. Nobody had as close a relationship with the Lord as they had. Everybody else was down. They were up. And Jesus spent a lot of time coming up against the Pharisees. He didn't want those who followed him to have this kind of attitude, haughty eyes. Jesus teaches the exact opposite, to be servants of all, to love others, to consider yourself less than, not more than others. To be the least. Jesus says, the last will be first. It's a completely different kingdom that he's trying to establish here. You're not to have haughty eyes. You're not, gonna, you're not to think too much of yourselves. In fact, when you come in to sit down at the dinner table, take the last seat, not the first seat. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Second thing that God hates is a lying tongue. This is about what people, what we say to people. Lying simply means willfully making statements that are false. And we usually lie for personal gain. How many of you have ever said a lie? All right. If you didn't raise your hand or shake your head of any affirmation, you just joined the club. Welcome to the club. Welcome. We all fall into this where we lie. 
We deceive people. We lie to them. And God does not like when we deceive people. I wonder right now in your relationships, are you practicing deception in any way? In your marriage, are you lying? That's not going to lead you to any good. In your friendships, are you telling the truth? In your workplace, in the contracts you're signing, are you being honest? How about yourself, with yourself? Are you telling the truth about your shortcomings, about your strengths, about who you are in Christ Jesus? How about, are you telling the truth about others? A lying tongue God hates. There's a story in scripture that's really shocking, really shocking. It's a story of a husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, a shocking story. I'm just warning you right now, if you don't know, it's a shocking story. Now, before I tell you that story, what's happening is Jesus died and he rose from the dead and, and there's, there's great things that are happening. The community is strong. The church is being established. And part of scripture in Acts 2, it even says that there were no needs among them because they were distributing their wealth and their goods and their resources to one another. It was this beautiful community, the early church. It's this amazing thing. There's even this story of a man named Barnabas who sells his property, brings all the proceeds to the apostles and gives it all to them. And people were doing this, laying it at the apostles' feet saying, listen, this is for the community. It was this kind of beautiful thing that was happening here in the early church. Into this context, this man named Ananias comes to the apostles, he sells his property, and he gives a portion of the proceeds to the apostles. Peter's there, and Peter's like, hey, is this all of it? And he's like, yes, this is all of it. He lies. Do you know what happens? He dies on the spot. I told you this was a shocking story. Three hours later, his wife comes in, and Peter asks her, hey, is this all the proceeds from, from what you gained on selling your property? In this moment, she has the opportunity to tell the truth. She doesn't. She says, yes, that's all of it. She collapses and she dies. This is a shocking story, isn't it? Oh, what can we learn from this? I was asking the Lord, 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 what can we gain from this story? Here's what I learned from this. That lying is a life and death issue. Let me, let me explain this. When we lie, we bond ourselves to that lie and it sucks us dry. We become captive to the lie. Our true identity dies in that moment. Oh yeah, yeah, this is who I am. Yeah, this, these are my accomplishments. And we begin to lie and we fabricate who we are. All of a sudden, our true identity in Christ Jesus begins to fade away. We kill it. Lying is a life and death issue. It kills our relationships. It kills our understanding of who we really are. But when we speak the truth, this is when we experience freedom. Third thing that the Lord hates, hands that kill the innocent. This is about how we treat life. And when I speak about life right now, I speak about every life. Hands that kill the innocent. This is about how we treat life. You know, God's heart is for us to cherish and protect all that he has made. To stand up for the innocent. To celebrate the life that he has created. This means that God loves every child in the womb. 
This means that God loves every woman who has suffered abuse. This means that God loves every refugee escaping for their lives right now. This means that God loves every person who has been the victim of senseless violence. This means that God loves every person who disagrees with you. This means that God loves every life that he has created. Every life. Let me give you three truths into this. The first truth is this, is that God loves his created ones. He created them. He loves them. I love in Psalm 139, it says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God loves and has a purpose and plan for every life. Second truth, God is the sustainer of life. He's the one who sustains life. He's the one who has numbered our days. I love in Isaiah 46, it says, I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age. Mine's already going white with age. <laughs> I made you and I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. Praise God that he's the one who sustains life. This is his role. This is what he does. He holds the world in his hands. He sustains life. He's the one who numbers our days. We're not to be the ones who interrupt that. We're not to be the ones to kill and end life. He's the sustainer of life. Final truth in this. We are to love what God has made. This is our role. This is our part. I love in John 13, it says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you you should love each other. This is our call, friends. Our call is to be people who come alongside one another, who love one another, to walk in each other's hurt and sorrow in times of celebration. We're to be the ones not to judge, not to kill, not to destroy. We're to be the ones who uplift, encourage, anoint, empower, love on one another. God hates hands that kill the innocent. Fourth, God hates a heart that plots evil. This is about the condition of our heart. The heart is the command and control center of every person. The wise and Christ-like person's heart is set on doing good. I mean, in this moment, you might be saying, oh, wow, this is fine. I'm, I'm good with this one because I'm not plotting evil right now. I don't have any journals where I'm plotting things down about how I'm going to get back at people. I don't have this, these master blueprints about how I'm plotting evil. So I'm good on this one. Well, let me ask you this. Has your heart ever been set on unforgiveness? Has your heart ever been set on just getting a little bit of revenge? Has your heart ever, or maybe is it now, full of bitterness or greed or lust or envy or jealousy or anger? If it's set on any of those things, then it's charted towards evil. 
until you change its course. It's pointing toward evil. No blueprint required. A heart that plots evil. Fifth, the Lord hates feet that race to do wrong. This is about how we respond and react. I wonder, how are you responding right now? How are you responding right now to the situations and circumstances of your life? How are you responding right now to the circumstances and situations of our worlds? Are you running to do wrong? Are you running to do good? Do the thoughts in your mind race to evil or do they race to good? Are you quick to attack or quick to serve? Are you quick to love, quick to plan to help, quick to be a part of the answer? Or are you quick to complain, quick to put down? And vulnerability, I said to Becca just this week, I said, man, I've been complaining too much. Sometimes we fuel on complaining, don't we? For some reason, it feels good sometimes to complain. But it puts you in a bad spot. But for some reason, my mind was racing to complain too quickly. I wonder if you're in that with me at all. I wonder if you're in that with me at all where you're, you're quick to, to, to disagree or, or quick to put down. Do we have feet? that race to do wrong. Six, God hates a false witness who pours out lies. This is about what we say about people. It's about making people believe negative lives about others. You know, we've already talked about how God hates a lying tongue. This is the the writer going even more focused on this. Here we see that God hates a false witness Somebody who accuses an innocent person of something that they did not do. I think God hates this because his son had to go through this. When you look at Jesus in his trial, many came out, these false witnesses who who made false accusations about him. And so our God, he's experienced what it's like to receive these false accusations. God hates when we lie about others when we wrongly testify about a person's character or actions. And this isn't limited to the courtroom, by the way, but also in our homes, in our workplaces, socially, when we tarnish the character of an innocent person, God despises that. Seventh and finally, God hates one who, hates one who sows discord in a family. This is about how we influence relationships. God hates when we cause division unnecessarily. I love John 17. In fact, I spent a lot of time in John 17 in my doctoral studies, wrote my dissertation on it. I love it so much because this is what Jesus prays for us, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. This kind of of unity, this is what he's calling for us to be, that we would be one in this unique and powerful way as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one together. This is what we should be working towards. I gotta tell you, I've been um, in ministry full-time now for 22 years. And I gotta tell you, my greatest disappointments, my greatest disappointments, all revolve around when Christ followers have acted unchristlike when dealing with one another. Those are my greatest disappointments. I experienced this in my first year of ministry. I'm 21 years old, and I experienced this. Here's what I did, just so you know. 
there was a program that was happening in the life of the church, and I canceled it and decided to do a different program, okay? Both were good, but I decided to do a different one. This sent shockwaves through the entire world, it felt like. All of a sudden, a group of families got together, very upset that this new pastor canceled one of their programs that had been around for several years. They got together, they were talking about me, never came to talk to me, started to talk about who I was, why I was doing all these kinds of things. Wow, he must not know what he's doing. He's a terrible leader. Why'd we hire this guy? I found out from a friend who came to me and said, hey, Brian, some people are talking about you. So I said, give me the list of names. And so what I did over the next month is I called every single person and asked them to share with me why they were upset. How could I help? And then at the end of the conversation, I said, hey, in the future, could you just come to me first and talk to me? Here's why I share that story. Hear me, listen to me. Because it's still happening today. We've forgotten how to talk to one another. It's still happening today. We, we, we plot and we sow discord in the family. We can't do it. When it begins to creep up within each of us, we've got to stop it. If we want to see renewal, revival, and awakening, we can't sow seeds of discord in the family. We can't come up against one another. It doesn't mean we're always going to agree, but we must always love one another. And we must always do the right thing. If you have something against a brother and sister in the Lord, go and talk to them. I'm pleading with you right now. Online, I'm pleading with you. Go and talk to them face to face if you can. If not, on the phone. Never through text message. Never through email. Never. Don't do it. Don't do it. You can email them after saying this. Thank you for that conversation that we had. I love you. That's how you can use email. Please, please. Here's why I'm so passionate about this. The kingdom of God is counting on it. The kingdom of God is counting. The reputation of the church and Jesus Christ is counting on it right now. So important. If you're finding yourself sowing seeds of discord, stop it. Grab a different bag with different seeds in it and begin to sow the, the principles and the, and, the, and the things of the kingdom of God. I'm, I'm just so, I don't know, I'm just feeling a bit overwhelmed by that right now. I think probably all of us have been sowing some seeds of discord within the family in some way. Lord, we, we repent of that. In Waterbury, we repent of that. In New Milford, we repent of that. In Derby, we repent of that where we've let our tongues go astray, where we've sown these, these seeds of discord, when we've talked badly about a brother and sister and the Lord, about somebody in our community, about our neighbor. Lord, you've called us to love one another. You've called us to, to speak to one another, to ask for forgiveness of one another. Lord, we repent of that. We want to be your church that's powerful, unmovable. We want to be a church that displays your grace and your mercy your supernatural ability in our world, healing and restoration and reconciliation. Let us be known for that, Lord. Let us be known for that. I pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.
Let me just end in this way, because I've ran out of time. I wasn't expecting that entirely, but um, let me just turn this on this head, because this has been a bit of a depressing message, and I understand that. (laughs) Seven things God loves. Flip this list on its head. God loves humble eyes. He loves when people can see through eyes of compassion. He loves truth-telling tongues. He loves when, even when it costs you, that you tell the truth. He loves hands that protect the innocent. He loves when we celebrate and cherish all life. He loves hearts that devise good plans, when we intentionally try to build the kingdom of God. He loves feet that are quick to run to good. He loves a witness that points out Christ in one another. He loves one who sows peace in the family of God. When we look to bring peace into the body of believers, this is what he loves. So what do we do right now if we realize that we've been operating in some of these things that the Lord hates? We share it with him, we confess, and we turn from it, we repent. And we learn from it. Say, Lord, what can I learn from this? And then we flip the script and we do the opposite. Lord, I've been looking in this high view of myself. I want humble eyes. Give me eyes to see. Lord, I've been falsely testifying about others. Now you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give encouragement to that person. I'm gonna uplift them. Flip the script. And Jesus is the answer here, isn't he? Jesus is the answer. He's the only one who's lived perfectly, embodied all that God's love of all of God's love. He's the only one who can transform us from haughty to humble, from deceitful to truthful, from hurtful to helpful, from evil to good, from divisive to unifying. It's Jesus. And so we turn to him. And so uh, as our worship teams and all of our campuses come up, let me just say a quick prayer for us as we turn our heart to him. Lord, we're so thankful that you love that you love us, each and every one of us. Lord, right now we confess, though, that there are some things that we can do that you, you hate. You don't hate us, but you hate these actions, these behaviors, and we repent from those things right now, Lord. Would you hear our prayers? Would you forgive us? Would you cast our sins as far as the east is from the west? Lord, would you strengthen us into a body of believers that reflects your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that the seeds that we sow would be kingdom seeds, seeds that would grow into beautiful things that look like Jesus Christ, that draw people to you. And so Lord, we pray that in your powerful, in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen.